Welcome back to another episode of our podcast. It's called For the Love of the Game, presented by Horsebills.com. I'm Bob Ike, as always, joined by my business partner, Mark Dosh. And Mark, we just uh, are coming up. We're going to be having a real good conversation with Jared Shoemaker. He's the head of Pocket Aces Racing and uh, kind of find out how uh, a conversation with a frat buddy of his playing poker turned into syndicate that was started 13 years ago and is still going strong yeah another great story of how people come together through horse ownership and the excitement that it can bring um our continuing series of featuring syndicate managers and uh, the businesses that they've grown and the, the success that they're having in the industry and the partner experiences which uh as we know those of us in the game that love the game whether you have a piece of ownership or, or you just like making the bet a, a bet on the ponies, there's no better feeling than winning a race, cashing a ticket, getting down to the winner's circle. And that's what Jared kind of expresses in our conversation. Yeah, absolutely. There's, and even he even mentioned, even if people don't own a horse or make a bet, there's fans out there that, that love the game and love to follow the horses. And uh, it's just a great game all around. And Hopefully, we can continue enjoying it for as long as possible. Well, we hope you enjoy our upcoming conversation with Jared Shoemaker from Pocket Aces Racing. After that, we'll be back with the close. We're going to tell you about the great trip we had going back to Keeneland and Breeders' Cup right around the corner a week from Friday, November 1st. We're going to talk about that as well. Enjoy For the Love of the Game podcast today with Jared Shoemaker. Welcome back to the For the Love of the Game podcast presented by Horsebills.com. I'm Mark Dosh, joined by my regular co-host and business partner, Bob Ike. Today, we're happy to welcome Jared Shoemaker from Pocket Aces Racing to our podcast as we continue with syndicate managers being featured. Jared, thanks for joining us today. Oh, thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Great. So uh, Pocket Aces Racing has been... Uh, in business now for about 10 years or so. But before we get to that, why don't you tell us a little bit about how you got your start in horse racing back to the trace back to the very beginning? Uh, I grew up about 15 minutes from Keeneland racetrack. And from the time I can remember, you know, when I was probably five or six years old, I remember going to the track with my parents, my grandparents, aunts, uncles, and, you know, it was, a, it was an annual event. Uh, my grandfather was a a huge fan of racing and and loved to play the ponies, uh, and and he had been that way, you know, since since he was a young child. So uh, it's just it was, I just kind of grew up around the track, um, you know, not so much on the backside, but but you know, at the track as a fan of the game. Uh, playing ponies, learning how to read the form at a very young age, and have just always, always loved it. Uh, when I was in high school, uh, probably spent a lot more time running out to Keeneland in the afternoons uh, than I should have, considering I should have, I was supposed to be in school. And uh, then when I was uh, when I was at the University of Kentucky, I scheduled all my classes to be done before noon so that. Um, when racing season rolled around, I would not be stuck in, in a classroom on campus. I'd be able to be out at the track. Um, so that's that's kind of how I uh, got into it. My business partner, partner Mark Wampler, 
uh, similar situation. Um, you know, we just we were fraternity brothers together. We both had a, a, a love of the game and spent a lot of time out there. And um, uh, that's 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 kind of how how we got started with it. Cool. Your uh, your story is very similar to mine. I grew up about 20 minutes from San Anita. My grandfather started taking me to the track when I was two years old, and I became a fan of the game throughout the years. And in high school, I was ditching six period to get out there to Santa Anita in uh, my senior year to catch the races on the weekdays. So a lot of similarities between your story and my story. Uh, so you talk about being a fan of the game and not really being on the backside, but what what at what point eventually did you decide that you wanted to get more involved in ownership? Uh, even was, did that happen before you and Mark teamed up or did it start just at that point when Pocket Aces was formed with Mark? You know, we started this uh, about uh, 13 years ago. And, and, you know, Mark, you know, he, he, like me, he was a big fan. And when he graduated from UK, he, he went to Colorado and worked on the slopes for about six months and then came back and started shoveling out stalls uh, at Calumet Farm. And, uh, you know, not, not a ton of, of uh, college graduates working as grooms. So he was identified fairly quickly as being somebody that, um, you know, there might be some other opportunities for. And, and he, he had a co- some other uh, jobs that he did over the years and became a bloodstock agent. And, uh, you know, for me, uh, you know, the idea of ownership always seemed like it was completely unattainable. Um, that was something that the, the super, super wealthy did. And while I've certainly, you know, I, I grew up, uh, in a very strong middle-class, uh, family, uh, certainly owning a racehorse was never in my mind was never within reach. And, and we were actually, Mark and I were sitting, he'd been a bloodstock agent for about 10 years or so at that point. And, um, several of us were sitting around playing a game of Texas Hold'em. And he starts telling us about a, a little filly that he bought for one of his clients for $3,000. And he sent it up to um, to uh, Charlestown, West Virginia, and it went through its conditions and won $105,000. And, uh, you know, everybody had a great, great time with it. So we started kicking that around. And, you know, four or five of us there at the table were like, well, hey, we can come up with we can come up with a few dollars and throw in and let's do it. And so it, it kind of started very casually um, with a group of guys, group of college buddies, uh, several years out of college, sitting around a poker table. So uh, we all went and asked some, of our, asked some of our friends and family if they wanted to join. And we came up with 33000 bucks in about a month and uh, went and bought a little uh, Victory Gallup filly and sent her up to Charlestown, West Virginia. And that was the, that was the beginning of my ownership. And um, it was a, it was a tremendous, tremendous experience. I will never forget that first race. Hey, Jared, Bob here. Uh, my similar, my story is similar to you guys, uh, but it was around Del Mar where I grew up and going to a young age. And uh, Mark and I just spent some time back in Keeneland. So we certainly see uh, the attraction to, to, for you and your family to that beautiful track. But talk about how Pocket Aces grew from the time you and Mark started it in 05 and uh, in 2015, you got above $200,000 in earnings and you've been there the last three out of four years. So how about that 10 years in between? How did you guys evolve to where you're at now? Uh, just scraping and scratching and clawing. I mean, uh, you know, so that, that first filly that we bought, uh, she re- debuted in September of her two-year-old year and she won by about 10 lengths. And 
I, I mean, a bunch of it, but well, I would say more than half of the people that had gotten involved with her drove up to Charlestown and were there for that race. And we're all just sitting there looking at each other, kind of blown away. We're like, wow, this is easy. <laughs> this is great, you know, and we're starting, hell, we're starting to make plans for the Kentucky Oaks next year. Um, and, uh, you know, just so it's so great. And, you know, we had people that, um, you know, like myself, that had been, you know, really avid fans of the game. We had some casual fans of the game. We had one guy that I worked with that had never placed a bet on a horse. And she was like, yeah, sure, I'll throw in a thousand bucks or two thousand bucks, whatever it was, uh, because he, he liked to gamble. And so that that's kind of how it got started. And and everybody had such a great time. You know, she went on, she won, you know, close to sixty thousand dollars, won four races. We went up to Charlestown, made the long drive to Charlestown on several occasions, and everybody just really, really loved it and was very receptive to it. And at that point, Mark and I were like, Well, wow, this is, you know, people people are into this. I, let, let's see if we can formalize this and turn it into a, a, an actual business. So um, so that next year, um, as opposed to just being a general partnership with the one horse, Mark and I actually formalized Pocket Aces Racing LLC at that time, and we bought another, you know, inexpensive filly, um, you know, eight thousand dollars, bought her at the Fazy Tipton October sale, and she debuted in June of her two-year-old year, and you know, she only won one race, but man, she ran her eyeballs out every time, and um, you know, we had a, we had a, you know, had another good run. And so for the, and then the third year, again, we bought one inexpensive horse. He did win a race, but he was not super talented. Uh, and at that point we were starting to get interest. Um, you know, and I, I basically, I built a webpage. I kind of figured out on my own how to build a webpage. I put that out there and we started getting inquiries from a lot of folks around the country that seemed very, very interested in this. And we're like, well, we got to do something different. And you know, we got to expand this a little bit. So then we uh, had the opportunity to purchase a, uh, a filly by Cozine, and we knew we couldn't send her to uh, Charlestown to run on the, the the dirt. And we decided, you know what, let's let's move everything to uh, to Kentucky. And that was the beginning of you know, when things really started taking off at that time. And you know, we had some pretty lean years. You know, we had we had some early on those first few years. We had times where you know, we'd, we only ran half a dozen times or something like that because, you know, again, you got one horse for most, most of that time. It's, uh, it's, it's hard to keep that consistent action. But by that, uh, by that fourth year, we finally got up to two horses and then gradually got up to, uh, you know, a, a third and a fourth. And just each year we tried to, we tried to get, uh, you know, add one more horse into the mix than maybe than we did before. And then we got to the point where we were, we were able to consistently add four or five horses to the stable every year. You know, this year we've already added six and, um, it's just, it's just taken off and there, there's a tremendous appetite of, of fans of racing, um, who, you know, for whom most ownership is on their own is completely unattainable. Uh, but, our group plus so many other groups that are out there now are, are putting this great game in touch and in the hands of people uh, that never would have imagined that it would have been a reality. Yeah, Bob and I like to joke that it's an easy game, whether you're owning horses or betting on the horses or anything involved, it's easy, right? Uh, it's overnight success is, is common and uh, there's no pitfalls and it's all good. But uh, you guys kind of stuck it out over those years and, uh, there's a couple of horses that maybe took you to the next level as far as 
not only just what their earnings, but being in the barn for a long period of time and, you know, being true racehorses mm-hmm. and warriors that I'm sure you enjoyed a lot of success with just, just getting to have them, uh, in your barn for as long as they were and having the owners get to enjoy them. And, uh, so those were, those two horses were aces high. He earned over $300,000 and copper plate, uh, earned over 200,000 multiple, multiple stakes placed and ran fourth in a graded stakes at Woodbine. So w- what did it mean to, to your stable and your owners to get a couple of horses like that that were so productive over a long period of time for you? You know, I, I really think that th- those two horses allowed us to take it uh, to the next level, quite frankly. Um, you know, we bought both of them in, in 2012. We bought Copper Plate out of Keeneland. Uh, he was $70,000 purchase. Um, you know, we... But that was before Curlin had become a, such a successful sire. So I, I believe my, I believe it might have been his first crop, actually, and um, and certainly if not first, probably his second crop. Um, so you know, had uh, got him very excited about him. You know, obviously everybody knew who knew who Curlin was coming off the racetrack. Uh, you know, not too not too long before that, uh, sold him out. We'd within a week and we'd never sold a horse out that we bought that quickly but we put him online sent out emails and he was completely sold out in a week and we were just uh completely blown away by it and uh we bought uh aces high at phase tipton for fifty thousand dollars a flower alley and i remember mark uh, called me up uh, a couple days after the sale he's like man i I don't know if I've done the right thing or not here. I've, I spent $50,000 on a flower alley. I don't know if we're going to be able to sell that guy or not. <laughs> and, um, you know, it, and it did take a little while uh, to sell him. But, uh, man, for those that did jump in, um, he certainly paid him back in uh, just tremendously. I and mean, he was such a great – both of them were just tremendous horses. And they both did have some setbacks early on in their career. We thought Copper Plate was going to debut at two, and he ended up with, uh, you know, some real small little stress fractures, so needed some time off. Uh, you know, came back, took him a couple races to break his maiden, but, man, once he got going, um, you know, started figuring things out, he did did exceptionally well. And and then, and you know, he and that, that horse won on dirt. He won on turf. He won on uh, synthetics. Um just a tremendous, tremendous run by him. And every race was fantastic because he ran his eyeballs out every single time. It didn't matter uh, what he was up against, uh, where he was running, what the conditions were. He was going to run as hard as he could run every single time. Uh, Aces High was a little bit different. He could be a little peculiar. Uh, but, you know, he also got started uh, in, in spring of his three-year-old year. And, uh, you know, if he if he couldn't get the lead right out of the gate, sometimes he just didn't really want to <laughs> didn't want to extend a whole lot of effort. But if he get on the front end, um, he was going to he was going to run hard. And um, he won, when he it took him about 10 races to break his maiden. And when he did, he won by, gosh, I think it was like 15 lengths. Miguel Minner rode him down at the fairgrounds and he just he got out to an early, easy lead and just went on with it. And then he won a couple races later, uh, won an allowance at Oaklawn. Um, one, some, one on the turf up at Canterbury. He had a real nice run at Canterbury towards the tail end of his career. We sent him up there, tried to get him a little softer competition. And, uh, and uh, again, he just, you know, $300,000 winner and off a $50,000 purchase, he just had a tremendous career. And he was so lovable around the barn and always, always happy to see you when you walked in. You, the folks that knew it, they, they got to spend a lot of time with him, the partners that got to spend a lot of time with him whenever they'd come by, um, 
he'd start shaking that head when he recognized you, shaking that head all through that stall, and, and he was ready for ready for some mints and some apples. So <laughs> he, he was a lot of fun. Jared, you talked about growing the business and over time, uh, people becoming more interested. How do you guys go about your client acquisition and what are some of the selling points to get into pocket aces? You know, we've got, we have our web page, Facebook page. We've got a pretty, pretty significant following on our Facebook page, and we uh, try to interact with our fans as much as we can on there. And, 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 and that's, just speaking of that real quick, I, the number of people that, that follow our horses, they've never been involved with this for whatever reason, uh, you know, maybe financially they, they can't pull it off or they just you know, don't have that daring uh, drive to pull it to jump into it I don't know and because you know it, it is quite an investment and uh, and and it ownership's not for everybody there's a whole lot of ups and downs and if you can't handle the downs then uh, you know it, it may not be it may not be for you but we have so many people that just follow us constantly on web pages that have never been our partner but they become fans of our horses and they comment on every race and all the videos so you know that that's that's a really really neat aspect that I certainly did not expect um but you know our client acquisition is mostly through uh, social media, through our our web page. We do some advertising here and there, uh, and, and most of it though it's just probably word of mouth. And most of our clients, most of our partners, and we've got close to 200 of them across all the horses right now. 200 active clients right now, partners, and um, just about all of them are in on multiple horses. And so the biggest part of our business is repeat business from. Uh, from partners that have been, you know, that have had a good experience with us, uh, or it's their friends and family who they've uh, referred to and convinced to join us. Um, what we really try to focus on, is, probably more than anything, is communication, um, and, and it's our belief that, you know, what we know about the horses, you're going to know about the horses. Um, we we don't hide anything. We don't try to sugarcoat anything. You know, if things aren't going great, you're going to know about it. If things are going really well, you're going to know about that too. And we're going to try to temper your expectations at the same time. Uh, you know, we've had a really good track record. We've only had a couple horses that didn't make it to the races, and only a couple of them that 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 didn't um, that didn't win races for us over the years. So we we've had a pretty good track record of at least at least getting you a, a win picture up on the on the wall if nothing else. So we're going to again communication. You're going to know everything that's going on. We're going to send out weekly emails uh, that tell you what they did the previous week and what's upcoming for the for the next week. We're going to let you know as soon as we know about what races we're targeting. Uh, you're going to get accommodations at the racetrack. Um, you know all those things that. Um, that we try to do to to enhance that experience and make you make sure you are you have a connection to your horse, and uh, you know and, and we encourage people to go by the barn as much as possible. We've got, we've got some folks that that uh, if they live near the tracks where the horse where the horses are, I mean they're there every week. Uh, we have we have a physician in Louisville that goes by the barn every single Saturday morning to visit her horses, and and we have other people that, that have never seen their horses in, in person. It's just whatever works for, for you as an individual. Um, but just, yeah, that, you know, again, you know, we're going to communicate. You're going to know what's going on at all times, and um, that that's the biggest thing. I think that's what it's all about is that connection with the horses, and people who aren't in the game can't appreciate that, but that's what makes a sport so great is that individuals can connect with the horses, feel like they're involved, 
and enjoy the, the highs and the lows. I mean, you don't really enjoy the lows, but it's part of the game. And when you're in it, you, you come to expect that. Uh, we like to focus on, on the highs. Obviously, you talked about winning races. And we always like to ask uh, if you have a story or two about a partner and, and winning a race and an, an experience that, that they shared with you or that you saw in person from the excitement that a partner had from winning a race, whether they were at the track live or wherever, wherever they were watching it. So do you have a story like that that you can share with us? Yeah, I, I, I've, I've got a bunch, actually. Yeah, that's um, good. I, uh, you know, I, I, there's there's a couple that I will um, share with you. One of them, uh, a, a young man from New York, um, bought, jumped in with us on the first New York bread that we bought. And um, it's it took a long time to get that colt. Uh, to the racetrack um, and unfortunately we bought him to run him in New York but unfortunately the way things worked out he ended up uh, making his debut and getting his first win up at Canterbury but shortly after he, he bought this gentleman from New York bought into him he bought into a a uh, inexpensive Ohio bread that we're running at Belterra Park in Ohio bread races and when that horse he had three disastrous starts at the beginning of his career and we gave him some time off brought him back in the spring and he won in a maiden i think it was a maiden 10 at belterra park and you would have thought that young man won the derby uh, he was so excited um and 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 that that's what we have found and what we have discovered yeah we all want to compete in stakes races and we all want to have a derby winner but I don't care where you win a race. When you've won a race, there's no better feeling in the world because it is hard to do. <laughs> it is it is it is hard to keep them healthy. It's hard to have them everything clicking 100 um, percent, you know, on any given day. Uh, so you know, ev- to me, every win is like the Derby. Um, that that same horse, one of our partners, she had lost her brother. Um, over the winter he had passed away and she'd had really had struggled uh with that and she sent me or she actually sent me a message and then she called me and i could hear the the tears in her eyes or the tears that she had been crying you know it was clearly in her voice um so happy uh that he had that that horse had gotten that win it just lifted her spirits even though it was you know just momentarily it was like just a little breath of fresh air in an otherwise very dark time for her. Um, so th- that's 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 what this game can provide. And and all of those people that call me or text me or send me videos of them watching the race on the television and I hear them screaming and yelling as the horse is going down the stretch. Uh, seeing people post about their horses on Facebook and how great things you know after a great race, you know Temple City Terror. You know, ran second by a nose at Keeneland uh, earlier, early in the meet, and uh, I mean, just almost, almost broke her maiden there at Keeneland. But you'd think that you'd have thought, you know, the way the part, the partners reacted to it and were so excited about it, you'd have thought that she'd won the Breeders' Cup um, Philly and Mare turf. You know, I mean, she's just, she, it was just fantastic. That, that's why we do this to just give those moments to our partners who, who give so much to us and, and trust us um, and, and, and allow us to take them on this journey with us. 
Jared, we've talked about uh, a, a lot of the, the real positive things in the uh, industry and the thrill we get out of winning a race. What, is your, what are your thoughts and concerns uh, the current state of horse racing? Uh, I, I'm afraid that um, once uh, that, that, that many of the powers that be uh, are trying to make a boogeyman out of Lasix medication. And they're trying to find everything, to blame everything on Lasix and race day medications, uh, all the woes of the business, of the game, of the industry, they're trying to, it feels like they're trying to pin it on that. And if that is the sole focus, if we don't come together as an industry, not just to deal with medication issues, but to deal with the industry as a whole, we're going to have a hard time surviving. Uh, in, in, in a lot of the decisions, quite frankly, that are being made right now are not being ba made based on good science. They're not being made, being made based on good sense. It's being there. That's reactionary. And it is a, you, we're not looking at the big picture of the industry. I, I'm afraid as a whole, um, you've got uh, some select, uh, folks that, I think, quite frankly, don't like the way that uh, the industry has gone in terms of partnership groups like ours. I think they like to keep it an exclusive club. Um, some of the powers that be would like to do that, but we can't. We can't be exclusive. We've got to embrace everyone. We've got to get as many people involved owning horses, uh, get as many people involved in, in as fans of the game um, as we possibly can, and we can't. We can't uh, try to keep anybody out. We've got to we've got to let everybody uh, get as many people involved as we possibly can. I think we've got to get a handle on the breakdown situation uh, that's happened at at Santa Anita, and quite frankly, it, it's got not gotten nearly as much coverage. But uh, you know, Keeneland's had a pretty rough meet, and you know, we the whole thing has been handled. It's Certainly, it's Santa Anita that's handled. It's been a disaster the way they've handled it. And again, they're looking for, they're looking at to, to make solutions that don't really, in my mind, don't seem to fit the problem. Those well, are yeah. some of the things that I'm we concerned. More there. <laughs> yeah, I, th I think we we agree with you on you know almost everything of what you say, and I can hear it in your voice. It's kind of the exasperation up to the point that where we're at now. We talk about how great the sport is, how it brings people together, the thrills, the excitement, and the fact of the matter is those things and how great the sport is, I think, have been able to make it last as long as it has, despite the dysfunction that has gone throughout the industry for so long. And now at a time of crisis, that dysfunction is really weighing on everybody that loves the industry. And we all are, we all are kind of exasperated that there can't be better decisions made and a coming together of a consensus and, and doing things for the right of the for the right of the game so that we can uh, have it be healthy again and keep growing. So yeah, it's definitely frustrating. I hear it in your voice and, and we feel the same way. And, and the stakeholders have to come together because it's the right thing to do, not because Washington, D.C. is telling us that we have to do it. And uh, I'm no fan. I, I'm, I live in Kentucky, grew up in central Kentucky. And, you know, quite frankly, I, I think uh, 
our, our representative in the, in our, uh, the House of Representatives out of Lexington is misguided on what he's doing right now. And um, uh, I, I just, we don't need national legislation to tell us how to run the industry. We, but we do need to come together. The industry leaders need to come together. And quite frankly, they need to bring in more people. Uh, they, they don't need to just have all of the super trainers, all of the um, biggest owners, uh, <laughs> you know, the, the, and, and believe me, I, I have no nothing against any of those people because they've all been fantastic for the game. But there are many more voices out there than just the biggest players. There's a lot of smaller players that make this game go and make they, they fill the races, they fill the stands. And it can't be just listening to the people that own the most horses, that train the most horses, that um, that are running the jockey club and everywhere else. They got to involve more people. Yeah, no, I agree. You talk about some of those bigger trainers and bigger owners. I, I think maybe one of the those situations developed with you guys and, and brought maybe brought Pocket Aces their most uh, recognition on a national stage when you partnered with Matacat on Cowboy Dis- Diplomacy, who was a, a full brother to Monomoy Girl. How, how did that come about, and um, what are his his prospects moving forward? I know he's yes. been off for a little while. Yeah, we we. Um... We had been trying, we've tried all that Keeneland uh, 2017, trying to find a good two-turn dirt colt type. And everything we bid on, we kept getting shut out. And um, we just couldn't get it done for, you know, we were trying to spend $200,000. And we couldn't believe how we got, you know, $200,000 is about the most we've ever spent on a horse. And we can't find something that's going to work for us and for that kind of money, uh, you know, everything we're trying to get, it's going by us by a hundred thousand dollars. So, uh, you know, Mark calls me up, he's out at phasing Tipton, uh, October sale. And he says, man, uh, there's a horse out here that we got to have him and he's not by a big name sire. And, you know, his, his dams by Henny Hughes, but this is the nicest horse physically that I've seen at these two sales and we got to buy it, whatever it takes. I said, all right, go ahead and do it. And of course at that time, Modern Boy Girl had not really done much of anything. She, I think, I guess she had just broken her, she had broken her maiden um, and just won an allowance. So she really hadn't taken off at that point. Um, so we got her, got him at 175,000 and actually Liz Crow, who was the agent for Matt, for Saul and Matticat stables, uh, was the underbidder. Um, so after we got him back to the barn and got him back home and he was just fantastic and doing great. And then Monomoy girl all of a sudden takes off. So as she continues to get better, uh, you know, Liz called up Mark and said, Hey, you know, Saul would like to get a piece of, of him too. So we worked out a deal and, and, uh, they, they bought, uh, bought a, a, a decent chunk of him and, and we're now racing him as partners. And he, um, he has had a few issues and he was coming back and had another setback. Um, I, but I do expect him to be back into training. Um, you know, hopefully it should be before, well, it should be before the end of the year. Actually, I know it'll be before the end of the year unless something else uh, happens uh, between now and then. He'll be, I would, you know, he'll be back into training relatively soon. And um, hopefully, um, hopefully he'll be ready to roll as a, as a four-year-old in the spring. Breeders Cup's right around the corner. Uh, first off, are you going to be attending? 
Um, probably not. Any any memorable stories about attending other previous Breeders' Cups or other big races? Uh, I, you know, I think bar, probably the most impressive race I've ever seen in person was the Barbaro Derby, and I was sitting right on the finish line um, in the in the boxes down on you know on, along the apron. Um, just so so impressive that that race. Um, I, I'm I'm trying to remember the year. Uh, it was a couple years ago when the Breeders' Cup was in Louisville, and I went and we had an outside box and it was so cold. I honestly I couldn't I I, I don't remember a single race. I was so miserably cold. Was that was that the year that that Blaine beat Zenyatta? Uh, no, I, I, I had to miss that one. I had a, my nephew and niece were, um, they, they had a birthday party and I tried to convince my sister that it was a really inconvenient time for them yeah. to have their birthday party. Uh, but I had to miss that one uh, in person to, to be at their birthday party. Cool. Um, <laughs> you talked, you, you talked about, we, we talked about the, the syndicate growing over the past decade plus, And I, you guys are up to. 200 plus partners. Uh, it's been a couple years now that that you made the switch over to using horse bills, uh, and just interested in in hearing how that has helped uh, the business for you as far as running the counting and the bookkeeping and all that, and then the response that you've gotten from the partners with having access to be able to see all all their billing records and all their horse ownership records in one place. I love it. It it makes my life so much easier, especially them being able to do the credit card payments or the ACH transfers and uh, when they just do it all online it makes my life so much easier I love it the ones that do it that way that use the use the system that way love it still have some other folks that you know they want to send me a check and that's fine uh, you know at least their bills are being sent to them automatically um, you know I, and we, we built quarterly so it's not like I have to do it every month but um, that was always the I dreaded that quarterly invoice going out for expenses because um, it took forever to get everything done the way I was doing it. And I hated every moment. I dreaded it. And now I, I can literally send out every bill uh, for all 200 partners, 20 plus horses. And it takes me about, well, it takes me less than 30 minutes, probably 15 minutes. So it's so simple, so easy. And uh, absolutely, the, the invoicing piece of it is the greatest thing that I've ever invested in. <laughs> well, that's that's very encouraging to hear. We we really uh, makes us you know feel good that, to hear that. And uh, we have a number of our clients obviously that have that same feedback. So we really appreciate you trusting in us uh, back you know when you first started and uh, giving us a shot. And uh, the kind words as well are very much appreciated. Well, and I, for anybody else that's listening that has not started using horse bills, I will say this, that it doesn't matter what time of day or night. If they're, if one of my partners sends a, an email to support or if I send something to Mark, I have a response immediately. I mean, it it, it is – you guys must not – you must never take any time off because – you've always got it answered and or you're dealing with it within five minutes of me sending it to you or my partner sending it to you or want you know so i greatly appreciate the dedication that you guys have take a vacation man take a break <laughs> yeah you know the, in this day and age of of being mobile being everywhere you know we can we can kind of work from anywhere and uh 
But yeah, definitely we pride ourselves on our customer service. And obviously that's an important part of growing a successful business, as I'm sure you do with your clients and, and responding to them and going to where you guys have grown now. So it's it's been a challenge, uh, obviously, in, a, in, a, in an industry that's stuck in their ways in a lot of aspects. And growing any businesses is challenging. But, um, you know, we put a lot of hard work into it. And hearing the success stories and the positive feedback is, is very rewarding for us. Well, I, I greatly appreciate all you guys do. It's, 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 like I said, it's made my life a whole lot easier. Cool. We appreciate you joining us on our podcast. Uh, we wish you continued success in growing the stable and uh, getting some more home runs and getting in the winner's circle. Uh, that was Jared Shoemaker from Pocket Aces Racing joining us on the For the Love of the Game podcast. Stay tuned for the close, and we'll be right back. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Well, we hope you enjoyed that in-depth conversation with Jared Shoemaker. Uh, Mark, what always comes through when we do these podcasts is the passion in our guest voice. Um, we call it for the love of the game for a reason, and you could hear it in Jared's voice. Not only the, the positives, but some of the frustration as well that we're experiencing, you could hear that as well in his voice. Yes, uh, because we love the sport so much and because so many people depend on the sport and have invested their careers and their lives in the sport, uh, it does get frustrating to see the current state of where we're at. And uh, as much as things don't seem like there's a light at the end of the tunnel of things that turn around at this point, hopefully some way, somehow uh, things turn around and we can get to continue to enjoy the sport that so many people love and that... Uh, can affect people in such a great way. Well, Mark, one place that we got to visit uh, about three weeks ago for the opening of Keeneland, uh, we had never been there for live racing. You talk about a place that has a passion for the sport. 20-some thousand on track that first Saturday we were there, the biggest uh, opening Saturday crowd they'd ever had. Handle was off the, you know, off the charts. We saw great racing. We saw a passion for the game. Uh, we saw people that enjoyed being at the races, employees who enjoyed being there as well. So all in all, I thought just an A-plus experience being back at Keeneland. I completely agree with you. It was, it was great to be there. We've, we've had a chance to go to Saratoga as well. And being so Southern California residents, fans, we've experienced Del Mar and Santa Rita throughout our life. And each one of those places are uniquely special and fantastic and there's always a talk of which one is better and, and blah, blah, blah. But for me, I think they're all great. Uh, I don't think you can rate one higher than the other. They're all different in a, in a way and, and same in a way is that they're just all great horse racing venues where people enjoy the races and they're great places to go and to look forward to continuing to get to go back to those places and maybe some new places as well as we look to go visit Gulfstream Park, Oaklawn, and maybe some others in the near future. Well, Mark, we're 10 days out from Breeders' Cup. Hard to believe it gets here so fast. But uh, November 1st and 2nd, right here in our backyard at Santa Anita. So we're very fired up about that. We're going to try to put out another podcast or two before then. Uh, we've got Breeders' Cup Classic Connections we want to talk to. We want to, you know, give out some tips. I know tomorrow, uh, Wednesday, the 23rd, pre-entries come out. So time to uh, get to work. Start handicapping, and uh, hopefully we can have a couple good ideas for cashing some tickets in, in a couple weekends. 
Yeah, cashing tickets is always fun. These are the best two gambling days of the horse racing year, and in my opinion, in, in gambling, in any form of gambling in general. Uh, just hoping that we have two great days of racing. Uh, fingers crossed that everything goes off without a hitch. We can have some positive vibes and, and just a lot of fun because the Breeders' Cup is and has been for quite a while uh, my favorite sporting event dating back to when I was a teenager. I really look forward to these two days. Um, and it's great to just have so many people from around the country and around the world all in one place enjoying the pageantry and the beauty of horse racing and the competitiveness. And uh, it's, it's, you know, Santa Anita has been such a great host for the Breeders' Cup when we've had it there. And hopefully uh, this year will be no different. Yep. I believe this is the 10th one hosted at Santa Anita. Uh, no better venue. Uh, we're going to enjoy the heck out of it. And hope you enjoyed this podcast and Jared Shoemaker from Pocket Aces Races Racing. We're going to be back uh, again before Breeders' Cup. So join us and we'll know who's running, what the fields look like, and we'll have a couple handicapping opinions. Thank you, Mark, and I uh, hope everybody enjoys. We'll talk to you next time.